The Bible says if, uh, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. I believe that. I tell you, it's a very serious, very sober enterprise to stand before God's people and preach the Word of God. Of late, I've been very, very fearful. Uh, God's dealt with me in, in really a fresh and new way about that. To preach the Word of God is to be a sword in God's hand, to be a battle axe for God. And my Bible still says that it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Yes, to preach the Word of God is a very, very sober exercise. So I'm fearful tonight as I preach to you because I know that I'll give an account for every idle word which I speak. Everything that I say, I'll stand before God for Every single thing. If I speak out of my own intellect, or if I speak out of my own opinion, I'm going to give an account before God. I better speak thus saith God. I better speak what the Bible says, and that alone. Or it's going to be grievous for me on the day of judgment. A great Puritan uh, pastor, Richard Baxter, said this, I preach as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. Humphrey Jones, great preacher in the Welsh Revival, said these words, I would wish to preach each, each time as if I had to die in the pulpit when I had done preaching. As if I had to go directly from the pulpit to judgment. If we're not in this frame, we will do little good. Every preacher ought to stand behind the pulpit like he's going to stand before God the next instant. Because it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. What we need in America is men who will preach under the fear of God so that the people will fear God. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 13. If the preacher is not gripped by what he preaches, neither shall the people be. If what I preach to you tonight, if I'm not gripped by it, how can I expect you to be gripped by it and moved by it? If I'm not corrected, how shall you be corrected? If I haven't been built up, how shall you be built up? Preachers need to hear from God. Preachers need to hear the word of the Lord. Hey, I'm sick of the charismatic church. I'm sick of it. I hate it sick of plastic preachers, every word shellacked with plastic, so shallow, can't preach from the throne room of God with unction. Give me a preacher that I'll preach with fire and preach the word of God that's been in the presence of God and the feet of Jesus Christ. Empty words and shallow lifestyles produce empty preaching. Preaching that doesn't penetrate the heart. Showboat preachers sound more like used car salesmen than preachers. Where is the unction? Where is the anointing of God that causes the knees of people to shake and tremble? That's what the anointing does. 
Sometimes it edifies. Sometimes there's the mercy of God. Sometimes there's the love of God. It's manifest in the anointing. But sometimes the fear of God yeah. is manifested. God can manifest his, himself in many ways. But I pray tonight the fear of God be here and every heart be open bare before the light of the gospel and his word. Father, I pray for your unction, Father, in Jesus' name. Oh, God, let me not speak anything that be not you, Father. But just your word, Father, let it come forth with unction and anointing, Father. Bless your word with your presence, Father. Let every soul here sense the power of God and sense the presence of God, Father. Thank you for the fear of God. Thank you for the anointing, Father. Thank you, Father, for the brokenness of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name, let everybody say it. Amen. Amen. Verse 6 through 9. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or thy wife, of thy bosom, or thy friend, which is as thine own soul, say that with me, which as my own soul, entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, namely of the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or far off from thee, from the one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth, thou shalt not consent unto him, nor hearken unto him. Neither shall thine eye pity him, neither shall thy spare, neither shall thy conceal him or hide him. For thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be the first upon him to put him to death and afterwards the hand of all the people. There are many voices in America that vie for our attention in this hour. Many voices in America that call for our obedience. But there is one prominent voice that wields great influence and power over each of us. It is the voice of one who is a blasphemer. It is the voice of one who is a God-hater. Is the voice of one who is a lover of pleasures more than a lover of God. But most of all, he is an upsurper of authority. He seeks himself to be a king. And he seeks to upsurp the authority of Jesus Christ. Turn to Daniel chapter 2. The kingdom of God is what this wicked one seeks to absurd. Throughout the ages, the kingdom of God has been prophesied. Throughout the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, the prophets, they all prophesied of the coming of a Messiah, a great king that should be born, that should rule over his people, his chosen people, and he would establish a kingdom. Verse 44. And the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. 
but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. This is the kingdom of God prophesied. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist, the spirit of Elijah, also prophesied that would come in the last days. It would turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers, and the hearts of the fathers back to the children. The prophet John the Baptist came. There had been 400 years of silence to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, why did he have to do that? Why did he have to prepare the way for this Messiah, this great king? That's been prophesied for years and years and years, thousands of years. Israel had heard there's coming a king. Why this preparatory ministry? Jerusalem was encompassed about by our enemies. Rome, the sovereign ruler there, they were in a society that was hostile toward their beliefs. The Romans were pagans and heathens. And the grain of their philosophy cut against Judaism. Their enemies mocked them. They were belittled before the Romans. Why did John the Baptist have to come? I'll tell you why. Because they didn't even know what the mission of Jesus Christ was. They didn't know the essence of the kingdom of God. But they expected an earthly king to come and set up reign there in Jerusalem and slay their enemies before their eyes and cut the throats of those who had mocked them. Gain respectability before the Romans. Years of mockery, years of oppression. They wanted this great king to come to set up his kingdom. They could be redeemed in the eyes of the pagans and the heathens. Look what John the Baptist came and preached. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is God's chosen people he's preaching to. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his remnant of camel's hair and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all regions round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Many people came to hear John preach, but it's interesting that his preparatory ministry combined with the ministry of Jesus Christ, only 120 people received the initial ministry. He was sent by God. He was anointed and he preached the say of God. And only 120 people received that of God's chosen people. Now later there were others that were saved. Amen. Later there were many. We're part of that number that received. We are a product and a fruit of even John the Baptist's ministry. But the initial ministry was rejected for the most part. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. See, they were saying, We're the chosen of God. We don't need this hard preaching. We don't need this knife. We're Abraham's seed. We're righteous. 
Be careful because God's going to begin to speak to his people like he has never speaking before in this country. Because Jesus is coming back. And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were over the people. They were the religious leaders and really the, the religious hierarchy of the whole nation. And they ruled over the people. And they had reduced religion to an exterior show. And even in Christianity, I believe there's times we need to preach against sin. I mean, exterior sin. I believe that. You know I believe that. You're in fornication. That's sin. We need to preach on things, uh, habits of the body, and some of the exterior things. But the thing about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had guarded their heart. They would conform in the outward. If you could show it to them in Moses' law, they'd try to obey it. Most of them didn't. None of them did. But they wanted to put a show up before men. They loved the praise of men. They rejected the praise of God. They feared men, but they didn't fear God. They guarded that which they did in secret in the dark. You see, the true nature of character is what you do in the dark. What runs through your mind? What do you meditate upon? Everything that you do before people, oh, believe me, God sees it, yes, but God looks at that heart, what you do in the dark, what you do at night, what you do in the closet. The Bible says everything that's done in the darkness shall be shouted from the rooftops, and God sees the darkness as pure light. That's what God's looking at. That's the nature of character and holiness. What's in your heart? Not what you show before people. That's a fearful thing. That's a fearful thing. I indeed baptize you with fire, water, under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Prophesying of Jesus. Turn to Mark chapter 1. He's preparing them for a kingdom. He said, I preach. He pre came preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Verse 15. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. He came declaring a kingdom. He was a king coming for his kingdom. I warn you tonight. I proclaim to you tonight that Jesus is coming to America. Jesus is coming to the church. Jesus is coming to redeeming word of life. Jesus is coming to you. And he's looking for a kingdom. He is looking for a kingdom without spot, without blemish, and without wrinkle. And this is surely what he will have. This is what he will have. He has promised himself a church, and he will prepare himself a church, and he will come for that church, and every other soul shall be cut asunder. 
Doesn't matter if you speak in tongues. Doesn't matter if you go to church. Every time the doors are opened, that's good. That's not going to save you. All America would be saved. He's coming for people that are bowed down before him, that love him, that worship him in spirit and truth. The Southern Baptist Convention has this distinction in America that the men that hold the two highest offices in this country, the most wicked president ever to reign in America, the most wicked vice president, both Southern Baptists. And they have forgot that John the Baptist said, Herod, it is unlawful for you to have your brother's wife. They refused to mark them. They refused to stand before this nation and say, this is not Christianity. The Methodist church, when the Bible declares that a sodomite is not fit to live, they're grappling over the fact that they preach behind a pulpit. Men like John Wesley and Charles Wesley stood on their daddy's grave and preached and the angry crowds from dead cats and rotten tomatoes at them. They started the Methodist church. Francis Osbury, a circuit rider in America, hundreds of thousands of miles, if I'm not mistaken, across this nation in the frontier on a saddle and preached the gospel and multitudes repented. Turn in the grave. George Whitfield preached to 80,000 people open air. They tried to stone him. They tried to kill him several times. But he wept as he preached. Preached on hell, but he wept. Preached on judgment, but he wept. And multitudes repented. Went up and down the East Coast. The 1700s and preached and transformed this whole nation as Jonathan Edwards in 1741 preached sinners in the hands of angry God and Northampton and multitudes repented for the fear that the church poor would open up and throw them into hell. He was a Congregationalist. I don't even know where their denomination is today. Charles Spurgeon... The last two years I've studied church history like never before. I used to think I was a great preacher. And if you're a preacher, you all think you're great. Every preacher thinks he's great. I've never preached under the anointing. I don't want it to come against what God's done in my life, but I've never preached under the anointing like it's recorded in this book and like it's recorded in the ages past. Never. I don't have the Holy Ghost the way they had it. I'm in need of it. Yes, I speak in tongues. Yes, I don't want to belittle what God has done. But just as Jesus didn't come to save the righteous, he came to save the sinner. I believe Jesus doesn't come to baptize with power those who are self-sufficient, but he comes to give power to those who confess their weak. This nation needs the anointing. 
I don't have it, but I'm believing God for it. I believe in God for it. What will this nation do without men and women to rise up? I heard Brother David say, if this generation doesn't touch America, there's no hope. There's no hope. That's the truth. Twelve men change the world. 120 sheep, 12 preachers. There's 12 preachers in here today. 120 people shook the world. That's a reproof to any congregation that's got over that number. We have so little because we think we have so much. It's not wise to compare yourselves among yourselves. The sad thing is I can stand up here and categorically condemn the ministry across America, and I believe that. I know there's other men. I know that, what Brother David said. There's men across this nation that still stand for God. There's a remnant. But the vast multitude of preachers, the vast multitudes of Christians are totally deceived. But I do say that I know and I do profess that what I say is the truth. But I can't weep. I can't weep over him. What does that say about my heart? That I can stand here and say the multitudes of preachers tonight are not preaching the truth. But I can't weep for the souls. I can't weep for the sheep. And I confess that I hadn't. Something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. The psalmist said, My eyes are rivers of tears because they keep not thy law. Isaiah said, Look away from me. I will weep bitterly. Labor not to comfort me because of the spoiling of the daughter of my people. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. Romans chapter 9, the apostle Paul said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself was accursed from Christ because of my brethren. If the whole body suffers, then we're to suffer with it. What you mean? You can't preach against sin? You know I don't mean that. What you mean? We shouldn't speak against preachers? Expose every false prophet. Expose every false teacher. Expose every false doctrine. Pull the wolves. Pull the sheep curls off the wolves and expose them to the people. God forbid that God's people would shut up and not speak in this hour when there's so much deception. But if I can't weep, if there's no brokenness, then it's time for us to look at our own heart. Judgment must first begin at the house of God. Think of that pedophile on the street that roams the gutters of America, that hunts your children and mine. 
Think about him as he scurries about these deplorable places in our cities looking for some young lad to seduce. How wicked is that? He may even make a snuff film. That's where they take young children and have sex with them and kill them on film, sell them underground across America that other perverts might get turned on. But do you know that God will not touch one hair of his head before he goes through his house and looks under every rug and every nick and every cranny, every corner, every closet, and flushes out the evil that's in the church? Judgment's not really begun on the church. I'm prophesying to you. Oh, it started. But it's not really begun. There's a time of warning. There's a time of sober preparation for his return, for his kingdom. There's a time for us to take that enticer that upsurps the kingdom and bring him before the people and slay him. I can see judgment on the church. You hear me? I can see it. I can see it. I can almost taste it. It's just a breath away. It's just a breath away. Judgment is upon the ministry right now. God is judging preachers. He's trying to get a hold of them, trying to get them to pray, trying to get them to fast, trying to get them to seek His face and speak the say of God to them that they can deliver the Word to the people. But if He'll not get a hold of the pastors, He'll raise up pastors after His own heart. If I could get on the airways today, I would say, woe unto the preachers. Woe unto you, woe unto you that turn the heart of the people after the world and preach not the things of God and forget the ordinances and laws of our King. Great judgment upon every preacher that does not preach the truth in full counsel of God. Oh, it causes me to tremble to know that I will stand before God one day Every time I've stood on a, a street corner, I fear one day I'll stand before God and those people that'll heard, that heard me, they'll all accuse me and say, I didn't see the cross. It wasn't like the day of Pentecost when you preached to me. I was out on the street the other night out in front of Fred's group of us. God smote me. I just paced back and forth. I didn't preach at all. I was fearful to open my mouth. The Spirit of God spoke that scripture to me as I heard my own voice preaching. Tinkling cymbal, sounding brass. Just fall to the ground. I'm a believer in that old-time Pentecostal saying, the real anointing will make people sad, mad, or glad. And they were indifferent. Well, it's not God's fault. 
We know that as Christians. Couldn't be God's fault. His word is true. Oh, but it's the heathen's fault. They're just so hard. Come on. A sinner ain't never messed up a good son. A sinner ain't never messed up a good son. There's got to be something wrong with me. The love of God. Am I talking about that kind of syrupy, humanistic love that's pushed before the people in 90% of the churches in America? No, I ain't talking about that. I'm not talking about that. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Our first motivation should be for the love of God, for the glory of God. For the glory of his kingdom to preach the gospel. To gather jewels in his crown. For the Lamb of God is worthy to receive souls at the altar. To we preach for the glory of God. We'll never preach the truth. For the love of souls, yes. For the love of man. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the motivation. That's the type of love we have to preach under. Until we do that, we'll never see the move of God like we need to see. Do I believe there's going to be great revival in America? Not like what we call revival. The revival really doesn't have anything to do with the world. It has something to do with the church. But we have a promise of revival for us. Because he's coming back for a church without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. There's going to be a move of God in this church. In the last day church, there's going to be a move of God. There will be a move of God to purify his people. And he will visit his people and reign over them as King Sovereign Jesus. And when we get right, if we abide in the vine, then we shall bear fruit. So I've got to believe that somebody's going to get saved. Multitudes? I don't think so. But just like I said, I'm not looking to preach and expect everybody at Fred's to repent. I don't expect that. But I expect them either to kill me and shed my blood or repent. It's a reproach that they're not beating down my door to hang me from a tree. It's a reproach that they're not trying to put me in jail. Jesus said the servant is not greater than the master. If they have hated me, they will hate you. Well, we're not getting persecuted because this is a Christian nation. We're not getting persecuted because we're not acting like Jesus. When we act like Jesus, then the devil will say, here is a threat. Again, I'm not belittling what God's doing to anybody here. And through someone here, I'm not belittling that. But come on, if Brother Greg can only lift 200 pounds, and all his children were in a hole in the ground with a 200-pound lid over it, and he went and he couldn't lift it up, He'd have to go work out for a week or two so that he could get it off to lose the people. If we don't do more than what we're doing now, nobody's going to get set free. Woe unto those who are at ease in Zion. 
are we comfortable with what we have? If we just continue in this vein and expect God to come and shake us up, no, He's expecting us to go to the cross and humble ourselves and ask for the glory and the power and the anointing to fall upon us. Humble thyself and pray and seek my face. No man is greater than his prayer life. Nobody ever did nothing in this Bible that wasn't a prayer. Nobody, no great man of God that ever read about, that ever changed anyone or anybody in any great degree was a prayerless man. Each and every single one of them were men of prayer. No church is greater than its prayer life. Run, shout, speak in tongues, and that's great. We need to pray. We need to pray, my God, we need to pray. We need to pray for our pastor. We need to pray for this nation. We need to pray for this city. We need to pray for souls. Christian life has a prayer meeting every morning, three hours. Two and a half hours. Stovall Williams told me five souls a week are coming in. They brought 50 people on the street the other night. 50 people. They're praying souls in. People are getting saved. People can still get saved. Turn to Luke chapter 19. Verse 42. This is Jesus saying, If thou hadst known even thou at least in this day the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes, for the days shall come upon thee, thine enemies shall cast the trench about thee, encompass thee round, and keep thee in every side. And shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. They shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Now that's hard preaching. That's prophetic preaching. That's judgment preaching. No man ever preached harder than Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that, just examine his words. No man has ever preached more on hell and judgment and condemnation than Jesus Christ. 164 times did Jesus Christ preach on hell, judgment, condemnation, and wrath in the, two, in the four uh, Gospels. In contrast to the six times that he mentioned the love of God toward humanity. You tell me our Gospel in this nation isn't out of balance. But look at verse 41. Oh, yeah. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. I'm convinced you really can't preach to people effectively unless you're willing to weep over them. Really, Jesus laid down a principle that you're really not afforded the opportunity to preach to people unless you're willing to die for them. Are you willing to seal your testimony with your own blood? 
Do the people that you preach to at work and on your job, would you lose your head for them? Let me tell you, the hearts of sinners know. They know it. They know it. They know it. I'm telling you, they're looking for somebody to correct them. Just like children, they look for somebody to correct them. But if it's not coupled with a brokenness, it'll do no good. It'll fall to the ground. The words will fall to the ground. We've got to be broken over souls. Where's our brokenness? Every dry eye condemns us. We know the world is damned. We know our country is damned. But how many of you stayed up in the last year, even an hour or two, to weep over souls? Our families are going to hell. Our schools are going to hell. And God is bringing the church to its bitter end. Because politics is not going to deliver us. Oh, I believe we ought to be involved. I believe we ought to vote. I believe that. Amen. But I'm going to tell you, politics will not deliver us. It's not God's way. Revival is God's way. Rush Limbaugh is not going to speak for the American church. Where are the preachers with boldness that will stand up and say, Thus saith God, with power from on high. It'll cause kings to tremble. That's what they did in the Bible. Ahab was terrified of Elijah. 400 prophets he stood against. The fire came. The fire came. The fire visited and the nation saw that Jehovah was God. We need the fire to fall. John Wesley said, get on fire for God and men will come and watch you burn. I don't know about you, I was wicked when I got saved. I was a drug addict. Till you've been in that kind of bondage, I woke up every day, I had to have a drink. I had to smoke a cigarette. Smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. Sometimes more, depending on what kind of drugs I used. Smoke pot every day, quarter ounce. Marijuana every two or three days. Fifth of liquor, case of beer, gallon of wine. Most every day. I was a pervert. There's no sodomite on planet earth that was more wicked than I am. Or was. Don't forget where you came from. I was wicked and vile without hope and lost in my sin in a pit of despair. And Jesus came and visited me. He convicted me of my sin. He set me free. I went to a local church here in town. Now, I've said the Baptist church and the Methodist church and the Presbyterian church and categorically the whole church in America backslid. Oh, but the charismatic church. More doctrines of demons and devils in this sect of Christianity than any other sect all put together. Doesn't refute the truth of the Holy Ghost. 
Brother, refuse the truth of speaking in tongues and miracles and the gifts of the Spirit of God. No, it doesn't. Still the truth, though. Let me tell you where I think all the heresy came from. Now, I believe in God wants to bless us. I believe that. You hear me? I'm a living testimony to that. I couldn't even hold a job. I have a great job right now that God gave me. I make good money. I make good money. I thank God for that. God's given me two automobiles, really three. I've never bought an automobile except for just recently, and that was, it was really given to me. I've never bought an automobile since I've been saved. God's always given me one. So don't think that I'm going to get, well, I'm getting ready to say I'm qualifying it right here. I believe God wants to bless. I believe that. But here I was just saved. I was tender at heart. I just wanted to please Jesus. That's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to please God. And I went to this church. Well, yeah, when I first got there, they preached against sin. They were feeding my soul. But then they came to me and said, Hey, you need faith. You need faith to get you a new automobile. You need to go to God and pray this and remind Him of His Word. Well, where where you live, boy? You don't need to live there. You need a new house. I felt awkward. I was, I was tender. I received anything anybody told me. But I felt awkward like somebody was pushing me before the throne of God to ask him something. My spirit said, no, don't do it. You imagine this. Imagine me as a stranger. And I walk out here tonight. None of you know me. Brother Kim, he doesn't know me. But we, we let out church here, and he walks in the front. And Brother Kim and Matthew, they're out by the side of the road. And they see me, and there I am in the middle of O'Neill Lane. Uh, I'm just acting like I'm in a daze. Here comes a Mack truck, 18-wheeler truck, loaded down. Several thousand tons bearing down on me at 70 miles an hour. Right before the last moment, Brother Kim says, Matthew, run and save that man and push him to safety. And there goes man now, obedient to his father. Runs out and pushes me out of the way. And all that thousands of tonnage just roll over that little boy and crush him to powder. Just smash him like a bug right here on O'Neill Lane. And here I am, I get up and dust off and see Brother Kim with his little boy in his arms all broken and bloody. And uh, you know, what's the feeling I'm going to have? Gratitude, right? And I go over to, to thank him. Some man comes up and tugs on my shirt. Hey, sir, praise God. How you doing today? Hallelujah. You know the blessings of God are for you? Oh, you're getting ready to make Mr. Carmouche's uh, 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 
acquaintance. He's a fine gentleman, fine gentleman. But I want to tell you today that you can get just about anything you want from him if you'll just remind him of his words because he's spoken a lot of good things and blessings just for you. If you'll just ask him for it, oh, don't mind the blood of the boy. That's just part of the plan. And if he won't bend his ear towards you, just twist his arm a little bit and speak a little louder and maybe he'll give it to you. Deplorable. I hate the prosperity gospel. I hate it. There's never been a more wicked and vile doctrine ever hatched out of the pit of hell. Ever. It's an insult to God. And I hate it. You hear what I'm saying? I'm qualified and I believe that God wants to bless us. You hear me? But I never did want all this. I just wanted to bow at his feet. If he wants to give me a blessing, let him do it. But I just want to bow at his feet. Don't teach me how to get a Cadillac. Teach me how to pray and worship God. Teach me how to Obey him and please him. Warn to the preachers that will turn a soft and pliable heart after materialism. There's but one answer from God, and that's a whip. Yeah. And Jesus is the one who will drive them out. He'll make them eat dirt before the true church of God. He'll make them bow down and worship. Not us, Jesus. One day they'll do it, whether they repent or not. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. The fact of the matter is, in America, we're greedy and gluttonous, and that hits home. And rich and spoiled. You go to another country. I'll never forget David Hogan talking about bringing those little forks off a plane, an airline. Airline gave him little forks to eat with. Went down to South America and gave it to a woman, and she bowed down at the feet of some plastic forks. And it's the blessings of God we enjoy. You hear me? This is the blessings of God in this nation. People say it don't work in other countries. I know it don't work in other countries because they're cursed. That's right. This nation has a godly heritage. No, I don't ever believe this nation was Christian. It was a moralistic nation affected by Christians. Remember, 50 years ago, Sister Lita had a drink out of another water fountain than me. That's wicked. You hear me? That's vile and wicked. Turn to John chapter 12. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The most overlooked, the most disobeyed scripture in the New Testament by the charismatic church. The most misunderstood, the most incorrectly interpreted, and the most reprovable to our American Christianity. The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. 
Well, they're going to get saved because God's going to glorify us in the last day and give us Rolls Royces and the world will see and be jealous. I thought the Bible said that the cares of this life and the cares of pleasure and the cares of riches and the parable of the sower said choke the word and made it unfruitful, not fruitful. That doctrine's stupid. It's for covetous people so they can be sifted and go to hell. If you get saved to get rich, you're going to burn. There's no covetous man shall go to heaven. How do you teach people to be blessed? They need to give. I believe in tithing. I believe in giving offerings. I believe that. You're cursed if you don't. But the real heart of the matter is, if I'm a drunkard and give $100 to God in a week, you think he's going to bless me? No! Because a sinner's motivation cannot be right. So if you give to get, you're not even right with God. So teach people to be right with God, and they'll give, and they'll be blessed. I like what Brother David always said about uh, his father-in-law. You can't, uh, what was that? You can't, can't, if they're right with God, you can't, you couldn't take a stick and beat them away from giving. But if they ain't right with God, you couldn't take a stick and beat it out of them. I think that's right, ain't it? Right what I said? That's how you're blessed. And I believe God wants to bless you. Amen. I believe that. God's going to glorify his church when the enticer is brought before the crowd and he's slayed and killed. The enticer that seeks to upsurf the kingdom of God. The most wicked man in America. That's the title of this sermon. That one is so close to your soul, even as if your own soul, your close friend, don't conceal him. Don't believe him. Don't pity him, nor spare him. But bring him before the people and put your hand upon him first. Who's the most wicked man in America? From my perspective, it's Britt Williams. Why is there wholesale abortion in America? Legal in all 50 states up to the ninth month. Because Britt Williams hadn't been to the cross. Why is the radical sodomite and lesbian faction running rampant in our streets and demanding that the Christians be fed to lions and their agenda be exalted in our laws? Because Britt Williams hadn't been to the cross. Brother, don't put so much on yourself. I'm supposed to follow Jesus. Didn't he take the sins of the world upon his shoulders? Can one man really make a difference? Yes, he can. One man full of the Holy Ghost and full of the true fire of God can make a great difference. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. It abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. That's pretty black and white, isn't it? Not a whole lot of gray area in that statement by the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Brother Brett, have you lost your life? If I hadn't, I'm going to burn in hell. You know, it's time for us preachers 
Did you speak the truth? If this Bible condemns me, then let Jesus Christ be glorified, but I'm going to burn in hell forever. And Jesus is going to be glorified, and I'm going to deserve it. Because if we keep taking our doctrine and our theology and stretching it around our unrighteousness and justifying everything we do, we'll never raise the people up to a standard of holiness. Brother, I tell you, God's dealt with me. And there are things in my life that are going to get right. Lots of things. Pride. Pride. Oh, God, pride. The pride of that heart hath deceived me. God has shown me how proud I've been, how puffed up and exalted that I've placed myself so many times above the Lord Jesus Christ. I've spoken so many things against His people. I've done so many things that's the flesh and thank God for His mercy. But it's time for me to obey the Bible and die. It's a lot easier to call a crucifixion for a crowd. I've been to the foot of the cross many times and faced with crucifixion. I brought Bill with me and Hillary. I brought the abortionist. I brought scores of others that I preached to on the streets. Because they need to be crucified, don't you know? But somehow when it was over, I always felt like a finger was pointing in my face and saying, Thou art the man. Like the real culprit got away. The real guilty one snuck away in the darkness, not harmed and unscathed. The problem in America is me. The problem in America is you. It starts with us. If we hated ourselves as much as we hate Bill Clinton and the abortionist and the sodomites, we'd have Pentecost unparalleled. Again, we must preach. But how can I put my finger in somebody's face and demand that they die? The Bible says, oh, pardon me, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Jesus calls a man, he bids him to die. Come and die. The death of the cross is just as real as you putting a shotgun in your mouth and blowing your brains out. It's real death. It puts to death self completely, totally. And everything within us rejects the cross. The cross is the answer. I save. I, I, I don't want to know anything among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who perish. The cross is the answer. I'm persuaded today that if God in His infinite mercy removed Bill Clinton and removed Al Gore and the abortionists would all die overnight, the sodomites would stagger under the curse of age and every last one of them die. And all the feminists would get saved. I'd still be faced 
with that loathsome enticer, that upsurper, that God-hater, the flesh. And nothing would be solved until I would choose to get on the cross and die. Turn to Malachi chapter 1. Getting ready to close. Verse 14. But cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male and valeth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts. My name is dreadful among the heathen. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. That's our admonition. The Bible says that He died for us. Now we should die for Him. Why is God's name not feared among the heathen in America? Why is His name not dreadful among the heathen? Because the church is a deceiver. It holds back part of the land like Ananias and Sapphira. Everything's going to be exposed in this last hour. Everything. Every motive, every intent of everybody's heart, mine included. You hear me? I pray that God expose me. Whatever it take. My God, I don't want to go to hell! I don't want to disobey God. If He has to embarrass me or expose me, let it be done. It's going to take that for many of us. Maybe for me. Maybe for you. Turn to 2 Thessalonians. I'm going to close. I preach this scripture every time I preach, probably. Verses 3 and 4. Such a timely word for the body of Christ. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. That man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. I thought this was talking about the Antichrist. Oh, I believe it is. To some degree. I'm not sure it is, but I wouldn't say it isn't. Let's see what he does. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Where is the temple of God? If you sit in your temple upon the throne, when Jesus shed his blood for you, he became worthy to be king sovereign over your life. He said the kingdom of God is within you. 
My kingdom is not of this world. For if my kingdom was of this world, my disciples would fight. If you sit up on the throne of your heart when Jesus knocks at the door, He desires to rule and reign over you. And you say, no. I make the rules. I choose my own way. I pick my own path. The God that Brother Pittman talked about, S-C-L-F, that sits on the throne of the hearts of most people in churches today. That enticer that thrusts you away from your God. From my perspective, that's Britt Williams. He's a blasphemer. He's a God-hater. He'd kill God if he could get a chance. But I brought him before you today. And I was the first to lay my hand upon him. I ask you to pray for me as I bring him before the congregation that you too can pray that by the grace of God, I can crucify him. Maybe you know somebody like him. Search your own heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, Father. I thank you for the unction and the anointing, Father, of your word, Father. Lord God, I know, this people know that you are not against us, but you are for us. Your mercy endureth forever. It is your good pleasure. Father, we be sanctified and set apart. And Father, by grace, we know that we can crucify the old man. Father, we know that that is the command to follow you daily. Lord God, we admit our weakness, Father. We cannot obey you without your grace. Father, I pray mercy upon every soul here in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord God, that we can bring ourselves before the cross and not spare nor pity, but turn him over that he may be crucified and the blood run out of him that he may die and be slayed, that we may decrease and that you may increase, that Jesus Christ might be exalted and glorified. I'm just going to leave the altars open. I'm going to turn the service over to Brother David. Whatever he sees fit to do. Hallelujah.